today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash unsweetened and browse the unmatched selection of audiobooks. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy, you guys. Currently, I'm reading All the Rage by Darcy Lockman. I'm telling you, if you're a woman that's married, that has kids, this is your book. And even if you're not, because obviously I'm not married and I have no kids, I loved it because you learn so much. She just dives deep into just women and how we end up taking care of all the responsibilities in the house. And the guys just sit there and they don't know what to do. So she talks about everything from just society, pressure from society, pressure from women having to be the best caretakers, the best mothers and whatnot. I'm really enjoying it. And it's just easier for me to read it when I'm on my commute to work and it's just on my phone and I'm like literally going through it and I absolutely love it. So again, you guys get to download this book for free or any book that you want on audibletrial.com backslash unsweetened. Welcome to episode 12 of Unsweet and Unfiltered. On today's episode, we'll be talking to Fatin Albana, who shares her experience with postpartum depression. Fatin is a 29-year-old Palestinian-American. She's an Orlando native, so she's a Floridian. A Floridian. Yes. Yeah, you got that right. I did. <laughs> um, she's actually a mom of a four-year-old girl and a one-year-old boy, mashallah. She's been married for six years, alhamdulillah. She's an elementary school teacher. She loves to read, do crafts, and she loves to work on her personal blog. You guys should follow her. Her name is, or her actually Instagram handle is F-A-Y-E-S-P-O-V, which is Faye's point, point of view. view. And so it is cute. her point of view. It's so cute. Like, like the, I need her photographer to follow me around because her pictures are amazing. Is it her photographer or is it the fact that she's just photogenic? She's beautiful. Some people are just so lucky and she shares so many cute snaps of her and her life and her children and whatnot. Yes. This episode, I think, was highly requested because I feel like we're in the generation where there's a lot of new mothers. Yes. A lot of new experiences and being a mother. And I think people want to share. They're, they're more open to sharing their experiences and not hiding behind filters. Absolutely. Like people want to be more honest about what their struggle is as a mother, as a mother of like one or two a children, or mother, a yes. working mother, everything like that, and everything in between. And postpartum depression is something that affects so many people. It does. It affects so many people. But also, I want people to also understand that there's different levels of postpartum depression. Um, alhamdulillah, Fatin's is not as severe as other stories that I've heard, and and but hers is still a mild form of postpartum. Absolutely, she still dealt with the depression, the anxiety, the the shower cries, and the feeling of like. You feel like a failure, but you're truly not. But it's that just natural feeling. Right. So we talk about the post-delivery experience that she had coming home from the hospital with a newborn baby and the struggles she faced there. We talk about, you know, knowing the differences between baby blues and postpartum. So we cover a lot in this episode. And we also talk about ways of finding yourself again after having a baby and having your identity completely change. Yeah, and just regaining that identity back. Um, I really hope that you guys learn a lot from this episode. And this is just another great opportunity for us just to text our girlfriends and just ask them like how they're doing. So inshallah, you guys enjoy this episode. Please stay after the episode is over because we definitely have our unfiltered afterthoughts that we always like to share with you guys. So let's dive in. Let's do it. 
Thank you so much, Fatin, for sharing your story and choosing to share a story that so many women are going through and a lot are going through silently. So let's start at the beginning. Was the idea of having a child a discussion you and your husband had right away? So we knew that we were going to wait um, at least a year after Alhamdulillah being married and saying, you know, we don't know how long it will take for us to try to conceive. So we said, we'll go ahead and start trying after a year of marriage. And Alhamdulillah, we were able to get pregnant after a year. So when you were pregnant, how was your pregnancy? Did you feel like any anxiety, anxiousness, like nervousness? Did you even like experience any downside of the pregnancy? No, alhamdulillah, overall, I had a really good pregnancy. Um, I think I actually had it a lot easier than what most women go through with um, not having really any uh, morning sickness and just being able to work like how I normally work um, Monday through Friday, not really getting tired. Um, of course, you feel like, you know, the morning or early fatigue in the beginning of your first trimester. But once um, that passed, I mean, I felt like a normal person just walking around with a belly. So alhamdulillah, I had a really easy and good pregnancy. And what did what did you do for a living? Because you said, look, you worked Monday through Friday. So you actually had a job while you were pregnant. Yep. It was um, my second year being an elementary school teacher. So the plan was that I was going to try to return back to work um, once my daughter was born and the summer was done. Um, and we were going to try to figure out, I guess, like a child care for her to go to once that was all figured out. Um, because I've always loved working and it's part of my norm. So I definitely want to pursue that. Yeah, you remind me of my sister because she just had a baby and right away she just wanted to go back. I don't know about you mm -hmm. guys, but that would be my excuse to take time off and stay home and <laughs> right. everything. But you also lived far away from your parents too. So that's why you needed the childcare, right? Exactly. Um, so I lived three hours away from where my family is. Um, so I had my in-laws, alhamdulillah, that were there definitely to support. But my mother-in-law, Michelle, has a very successful career. So I knew that I wasn't going to be able to have someone to watch my daughter. So I knew that it was an instant thing that we had to get child care. Yeah. So you went through all three trimesters of pregnancy. Alhamdulillah, like you were saying, it was an easy pregnancy. Can you talk, talk to us or explain the delivery process and what that was like? Sure. So um, I was two days past my due date and I knew I was going to have a scheduled um, in, to get induced. And so when I went in there, I knew that they were going to induce me and help you know, um, speed up the process for my delivery. And, um, after being in the, you know, in the hospital for about 15 or so hours, the baby, she wasn't lowering. Um, and I wasn't really dilating even after they broke my water. So, you know, they had me tossing and turning to see if she'll like lower on her own and she wasn't doing so. And that's when they made the decision that she's in distress because her heart rate, her heart rate is dropping. And, that's when they pretty much told me that I'm going to have an emergency C-section. And I think that's where I was more traumatized because I'm in there kind of just relaxing. And then all of a sudden, you know, about four or five nurses and my doctor come in, put an oxygen mask on my face and tell me we're going to go into the OR. Um, and I thought I can have my mom and my husband come with me, but they said only one person. So, of course, my husband came with me. And I think that's where the trauma really started. Yeah, because I mean... 
15 hours alone to be in labor is a lot. And then on top of that, this surprise C-section, I think that would traumatize anybody. Not to cut you off, um, Fathin, but when when you get induced, because obviously for others that are listening that have never been pregnant or went through labor, like is it because mm-hmm. they call us like the baby was ready to come out or was it because... You've, you're past your due date. What does that mean when you get induced? I don't know. Do you know, Zayn? So, Isn't it because you're past your due date? Yeah. So technically, um, you can go a little bit past, I want to say 40 weeks. Um, so my daughter was due on April 26, and I could have probably stretched it another two weeks. So some women do that. But I was at the point where I was like, okay, I'm done. And, you know, every time I would go to the doctor, like every week following up to her due date, I wasn't dilating at all. So I knew it was going to be, you know, pretty hard for me to dilate out of nowhere. So that's when we decided to get induced and just try to speed up the process. So, um, it was a safe time to get induced, meaning they're, you know, I take, they put something in me in order for me to, um, speed up the, um, contractions and have her start wanting to lower. Wow. So, and then like, just an emergency C-section, that's not obviously something that you plan. Like just even giving birth and going to the delivery room, that in itself is scary, honestly, because it's not something, and this was your first baby too, Fathin. So this is not something that- You don't know what to expect. Yeah, you don't know what to expect. And then here's the unexpected. You have to get an emergency C-section because they're telling you your baby's in distress. Like, So that was probably the first traumatic event already in the delivery room. How did you feel about this C-section? Because I know we talked a lot about it off mic. And Mm -hmm. yeah, if you want to go into depth about that. Okay, so um, I obviously never experienced this before. So I didn't know. I knew that they would cut me open and take out my child. But I really didn't know what to expect step by step. So me being like, um, you know, them wheeling me into the OR I think that's where my anxiety started kicking in because I just remember shivering and not stopping until I was waking up in the recovery room. Um, I was awake, obviously, but it felt like eternity as the process was happening. I kept looking at the time and just watching the second go slowly. And I just, I would, you know, you don't feel any pain, but I just remember feeling like really uncomfortable mentally um, and wanting it to be done. And, um, I remember like hearing my daughter, alhamdulillah, like being born and that was an exciting part, but I do remember like, you know, they would bring, um, her to my face to see my daughter for the first time. And that was really exciting. and made me realize, you know, this, I have to be strong. This is why I'm doing this. But it also was like, they took her away and I didn't see her for about four hours after that. And that's where I um, kind of felt that disconnect from the, that moment because, you know, they have to take her, clean her, but I also had to finish being done in my surgery. And then I was in and out of sleep from my anesthesia. So it was um, a long time before I really got to just be next to her. And it's like off mic, you also said, it's it's interesting to think this way too, and um, maybe other mothers have experienced this because this was an emergency C-section and she didn't come out of you naturally. You right away almost kind of dis- you felt like you were like disassociated from your own daughter because she didn't come from you. And it's it's interesting, Subhanallah, how mentally that's how you you thought exactly, right? especially since you had it planned that she was gonna be delivered naturally. The fact yeah. that like the script was flipped on you, basically like mentally, like you were saying, kind of has that like emotional disconnect and it instills that emotional disconnect. 
Right. Because, nor, you know, every girl or woman thinks they're going to go in and inshallah have like a beautiful delivery, a beautiful, healthy baby. And it's like the movies where, you know, I even happened, alhamdulillah, to my sister where she was able to have her baby and everyone's there watching her deliver. And after, you know, they clean her off, they, she can hold her. And it's like, mashallah, such a beautiful thing to see. And I pictured that and envisioned that for my experience. And then when it didn't go that way, it obviously, you know, instilled some fear. And I definitely felt like I, because I didn't have that experience, um, I was confused in a way, because I felt like I would have felt that emotional um, connection. connection with my daughter. And because I didn't have that until about four or five hours later, that's when I kind of felt like, this isn't going the right way. And they had to take her away because what they had to clean her and just, you know, the normal process and everything. Right. And I was um, in the recovery room. So I was sleeping, kind of getting out of um, the anesthesia because um, I wasn't completely awake. Like I remember waking up, falling back asleep and like <laughs> begging the nurse for water because I wanted, I was so thirsty and she's like, no. And then I'd fall back asleep. So it took a few hours until I got to see her. You had to have been in so much physical pain too. I mean, you literally just went through a surgery as well. So it's like, it's so hard to like enjoy that first moment of having your first child when you're in so much pain. That's true. That's a great point. That's traumatizing as well. And then after khalas, alhamdulillah, you are okay now and your baby's okay. And you guys were able to like, finally, like almost like re like reintroduce yourselves to one another. How did that go now khalas, after that? Like, what else did you end up going through? So I was very excited to be in my own room, um, not the recovery room. And, you know, that's when they brought my daughter to me. And I had that first, you know, skin to skin contact, which is so important. And um, I just remember feeling like relieved, like this is the moment I've been waiting for since yesterday before I came to the hospital. And it was just really refreshing in that moment. Um, and alhamdulillah, it was a really good first night. I remember like I still have a video on my phone of her just staring at me and my husband's like, look at how she's locked eyes with you. Like she knows it's you. And that, that was really um, touching for me because I felt that disconnect, like I mentioned. And then the next morning, that's when things kind of got a little scary because, um, you know, I was getting ready to change. And um, my husband and I noticed that she was in a different color because one thing that's common in C-sections are um, the babies still have swallowed um, some of the amniotic fluid. Oh, so wow. my daughter happened to, um, I guess, still have some in her system. And, you know, when they're laying flat on their back, um, it's hard for them to spit it out, especially being a newborn. They don't have those muscle reflexes. So she was choking on her amniotic fluid and was um, not able to breathe. And alhamdulillah, we were able to catch that. And that's when um, she was uh, taken from the nurses and um, taken to the NICU, where she had to stay for two days just to monitor her. You're, when you say different color, like you've seen her like literally turning probably blue or purple because she couldn't purple. breathe. And you mm -hmm. guys were by yourselves in the room with your baby as this was happening? As new parents. Oh that's, my God. I'm already anxious just like thinking of being in that situation and she the anxiety already, that would bring. Exactly. She already went through the emergency C-section and now you have to deal with out of nowhere your baby is choking and you you feel like you felt helpless in both situations, basically. Right. And that's the part that felt like a movie that I didn't want to experience where, um, and you know, 
it was very traumatic, but alhamdulillah, she was fine and they were able to suction it out and um, they didn't, you know, she didn't have any other moments after that because she was there for two days. But um, we're also very grateful because there are people who have harder, you know, pregnancies and deliveries. So alhamdulillah, it wasn't that ex- severe, but it was definitely something I didn't want to experience, especially after having an emergency C-section. I'm like, what else can go wrong, you know? So that was just another traumatizing first parent experience. Yeah, because yeah. you basically almost, like you saved your daughter's life. I mean, it was a matter of right. seconds that could have just changed everything. Um, but I also think in that moment, you realize like, oh shoot, I'm responsible for this oh baby. God. Yeah, and that's a good like point. It's like a whole new level of responsibility that I don't think anyone is prepared for. And how did the breastfeeding go? Because I know you had that emotional disconnect. Like, And I think... This is another, I guess, I don't know how to explain it, but it's just another requirement of a mom where you feel like I have to breastfeed her. This is another moment of us to connect and and everything. I think this is what added to your initial baby blues because there's a difference between baby blues and postpartum and we'll get into postpartum in a minute. But this kind of almost triggered your initial baby blues. How did the breastfeeding go with your newborn? Okay, so just like um, everything else you think is going to go great with having a baby, you think breastfeeding is going to be either just easy, natural, and a piece of cake. And um, it turned out to be one of the hardest things I've ever experienced in all of my life because, one, you know, the first 48 hours of giving birth are so important and crucial with having that skin to skin contact with your child. And so I, and you know, they say that within the first seconds, just like you've probably seen in movies or documentaries or Gray's Anatomy, they immediately give the baby straight to the mom's chest because baby was just in you for nine months and now they need to be right next to you. So with me not really having that initial skin to skin because I was in the OR, I definitely felt like I um, lost that opportunity. And her being in the NICU, you know, she wasn't by my side to just put her on my chest. I definitely visited because I was able to. But I know that, you know, every hour or so a nurse is coming to check on her because she is in the NICU and monitoring her. So it wasn't as easy to have that um, skin to skin time, which I noticed um, she wasn't wanting to latch on me and the milk was not ready. I know a lot of people, including one of my sisters, Michelle, who's just able to have it right away as soon as the baby came out, you know, and that's such a beautiful thing. And I remember being frustrated, like, why am I not having it? Why doesn't she want me? This is supposed to be the way it's supposed to be. And I was more hard on myself than anyone was. I will say that I got pressure from a lot of the nurses, which I was not a fan of. I felt like they were pressuring me more than my own family. And of course, you know, you feel like I have to listen to you. You're the professional. You know what you're talking about. And I just remember like they gave me every resource they could. And I even took a class when I was tired the next morning just to figure it out. And it just was not working naturally for me. Wow. So Hala, she wasn't latching. Like, I think they do put that pressure on you. Like, did you initially say like, I want to breastfeed my child? Cause I mean, there's like, it's one or two options. Either you breastfeed them or you give them baby formula and whatnot. So you wanted to breastfeed your daughter. Yeah. So I had um, everything ready from like my breast pump through my insurance. Like I was prepared. I brought it to the hospital. Um, and I even had like my, you know, nursing bra. Like I was ready, just again, expecting it's going to happen like a piece of cake. So that's like another step in your plan that didn't go accordingly. And I feel like 
it's sort of a sense of rejection when your baby doesn't want to latch on and doesn't want the milk from you. And you're like, why? Like, what did I do wrong? And you start blaming yourself. You took the words right out of my mouth because I, that's what I thought. I said, why doesn't she want me? She should want me. This is what it's supposed to be. She should smell me. She shouldn't want everything. And I, I felt like maybe it's because I didn't you know, naturally give birth to her is why she doesn't feel like it's me. I, I was thinking all these thoughts in my mind. It was just very bizarre. And again, I think of the pressure of within myself, I felt like I let her down. How can I, how can I not provide for my daughter? That's what was going on in my mind. Exactly. Like, I think that was probably for you, Faith, and like the icing on the cake post-delivery, like dealing with all that. Because when I want to go back into baby blues, I don't know if you're familiar, if you ever heard of that term, baby blues, Mm -hmm. but it seems like that's what you were kind of initially going through because it's, they say baby blues is normal when you first come home and also even post-delivery. And it's it's not postpartum, but it's kind of like a mild form of depression. And it does it's crazy, Zaina. It affects 80% of women. That's a lot. That's a lot of women that are giving birth and they, That's 80% like of them. everyone, basically. Almost everyone. Yeah. They experience this because again, it's like, yeah, you, you went into this delivery with a, a certain mindset and you, a certain expectations. And then basically everything was flipped. Everything went against you kind of. So do you agree? Like maybe that's like when the depression kind of started like seeping in. Yes. I definitely think that's when it started. Um, when things took a left turn, when I was supposed to turn right. Yeah, exactly. And it's like so scary. Well, it's like very like just even if everything went right, I still think like giving birth is a very scary experience. You have so many hormones coursing through your body. And it's just the trauma from going under the knife and then suddenly having this big responsibility. It's just a major life change. Yeah, I definitely think that's where my trauma came from. But like you said, um, Donia, I know that there are people who have experienced postpartum where everything did, alhamdulillah, go perfectly fine. I think that I just got a little bit of an early start with what I experienced from delivery. Yeah, that early start for sure was like, I mean, maybe it's not even just baby blues. Honestly, like when you add the emergency C-section, like your postpartum already just kind of started almost right away. Right. But then mm-hmm. like, like you're now you're home, you're with your baby, you're able to bring your baby home and everything. And, and I feel like that, sorry not to cut you yeah, off, I feel like that would be the scariest part for me. What? It's like taking the baby home. You don't have the doctors and the nurses on call. Like that's it. It's just you. You don't. But Fethin, you had help like initially right away. Who was there to help you? I mean, did you have somebody? Yeah, alhamdulillah, I was fortunate enough to um, have my husband take off a couple of weeks from work. And my mom drove up from Orlando to South Florida to be with me for about two and a half weeks. And alhamdulillah, my in-laws were just down the street. So I did have some help around me. Did you still feel like the depression was still looming over your head? But at the same time, I mean, when your house is full, this is for anybody. When your house is full, your mind is off of the things that are bothering you. So you're good now. But your mom is not going to stay around all the time to help you. And then your husband's not also going to be able to take off that much off of work to be able to be by your side. So did they both like were you left alone at one point or did they did they both leave at the same time? Or how did that schedule go? So it happened to be where my mom went back home. Like you said, I wish I could keep her forever, but that's not reality. Um, so she did go back after two weeks and that's when my husband's paternity leave also ended. So it was like, they both kind of like waved to me from my driveway saying, bye. Oh no. Holding this child all alone. (laughs) Um, 
And like I said, you know, like, alhamdulillah, like my in-laws were down the street. So like I had their support and their help, but like I could, you know, shower here and there, but when you're That's home, interesting that you said that, that I could shower here and there, <laughs> like something that we take for granted. <laughs> That's so true. People don't understand that. You can't leave. Like, yes, your baby's immobile. They can't do anything, but you, you still can't leave them. them. You have yeah. to watch them. Listen, appreciate your hot showers. That's for yeah. sure. Um, <laughs> Thank but, you. So as soon as um, they both left and my husband with his um, job, he happened to be working overnights. And that was where I really felt like um, that kind of hurt a lot for me because, of course, when can you not really sleep is at night. So I felt really like um, like I'm more responsible at night and during the day. So that was a little bit exhausting. Um, and obviously, like my mom being here um, helped a lot with, like I said, just showering or like if I'm trying to pump, uh, which was still a, a fight because it still wasn't coming as quickly as I wanted it to. So you still had so, issues with breastfeeding even after. Yep. I tried so many natural remedies. I drank mother's milk tea. I took fenugreek pills because fenugreek is apparently very good for you when you're trying to produce milk. And I mean, I, I forced my body and I, it was not really working for me um, to where I actually just stopped after about two months of trying because I couldn't do it anymore. And it's so bizarre because I felt this like huge relief once I did stop. Um, but I also still had that guilt. Like I can't really say that I breastfed my kid. I really can't own that. And that bothered me because I wanted to be able to be like the norm um, where, you know, I breastfed my kid till he or she was X amount of months or whatever. So is this something Fatin, that you wanted, or was this something that you felt like it was an expectation put on like mothers in general? Like you're a first time mother, like you should try to breastfeed. Like, was there just a lot of pressure you think from outside factors to make you feel like you were kind of failing? Like it wasn't really pressure from my family per se, but it was like, you know, how we grow up as little girls thinking we're going to get married one day and have this dress and this ball, you know, ballroom. I felt like that's how I, my mindset was, I'm going to have a kid. I'm going to breastfeed because that's what my mom did. That's what all my relatives do. I just felt like it was already in my head planned that way. So I think that's where the pressure really came from was me and my expectations of myself. And then like, you were struggling, but like, how was your baby? Because like, was she like cooperating with you or there, or was she like the type that was, I know I'm some babies are colicky. Yeah. yeah. And some like, how was your baby? So she was colicky, like the pretty much what the example of colickiness is when you Google it. That's my, that was my daughter. Wow. Um, she, um, she did not want to sleep really. Um, she would whine and be fussy, 98% of the day, which is why she didn't sleep well. You know, most people would say, oh, when they're about, you know, newborn to about three months, it's the best because all they do is sleep. You can still go out to eat. You can still run your errands and they just sleep. Well, we did not have that experience. We didn't want to go anywhere because she would just scream her head off everywhere. So we just chose not to be um, in public really with her, not because it's not like she was the most, you know, awful baby, but she was just very uncomfortable and we couldn't really figure out why until like our doctor was like, that's, she's just colicky. She'll grow out of it. And surely enough, she did grow out of it after about six months. So she was not really cooperative the first 
you know, few months. Yes. Adding like, what were you going to say? Yeah. So like the fact that she was colicky and you couldn't leave the house, it kind of confined you to the, to your house and to those four walls, which probably added on to that depression and that sadness you were already feeling because you felt trapped. Yeah. You, you, it's, it's, like, I don't want anybody listening to think that she's not appreciative of her baby or thinking it's a blessing. Like, this is normal, you guys. Oh, like, yeah. this is a normal feeling. I mean, People if 80% go percent of women or mothers go through this, and it's obviously normal. Yeah. We just don't talk right. about it as And often. then Phantom kind of, like, she kind of went past the baby blue stage, and now she's kind of more into the postpartum because you also just, like, yeah, you, you've still felt the, that depression. You still had your shower cries and everything. Because, like, your baby's crying, and you feel so helpless. Like, you feel like you're failing as a mother, but it's everything is kind of almost out of your hands. This is like the first time your identity also changes. And I don't think anybody talks about that. You're, you're now not a person on your own. You can't do whatever you want to do. Now your identity completely changed. You're a mother. People just look at that like, Oh yay, she has a baby. Alhamdulillah. Congratulations. But it's like you yourself, you kind of had, you had to let that seep in. How did you feel about that? You're just identity completely changing up on you. Right. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, like Zana mentioned, like just being home all the time. Like, you know, I try to go, you know, to certain places here and there other than just doctor offices. But at the end of the day, I'm still, um, pretty much attached to her because she needs me to feed her or I have to, you know, change her. And I think a lot of people who don't have kids or are not around people who've had kids realize your time is their time. Like, that's it. What they're doing is what you're doing. So if you're, if your kid's napping, like you have about 45 minutes to clean the bottles or pump or whatever you got to do. And by the time you're done, they're up again. So it's just on repeat. And you doing that for about, at least in my experience, about two months, because that's when I stopped trying to pump. I don't have that adult conversation. You know, other people might have had sister-in-laws that live with them or relatives in their face. So they constantly were in that loop of adult discussions and I didn't. So that's where I feel like I kind of lost my personality because I wasn't talking like how I normally am with my friends or my, you know, cousins or sisters, like just small talk and like, Oh yeah, did you see what Kim, you know, Kardashian, blah, blah, blah. Like I didn't have time for that. That's where I feel like I kind of lost my identity because I was just me and my baby. That's it. I didn't have anyone else to really connect on an adult level with you know, other than my husband, but you know, like your friends and your sisters and your cousins and your mom or who make you, you, you know how they say, surround yourself with people who make you feel good. Well, when you're not around them, you don't feel good. That's like a very interesting point. Also, because like you were also out of a job, not out of a job, you had to take off of work to help, you know, because you're now a new mother. So when it came to your husband, like, I feel like when I was reading a lot of articles about postpartum and whatnot, there was just like articles where people like wives felt resentment towards their husbands. And it's not something that you really want to experience because you love your husband. He's trying his best. But at the same time, he gets to go back to his normal life. He That's so true. He stayed at home with you two and a half weeks. He did his part, but now he has to go back. Even though he's not going back to vacations or anything, he's going back to his job. But he's still holding on to his identity. Yes, he's holding on to he's, He gets to go back to what he was before he had the baby and still continue having that life and that identity and those relationships with outside people and adults. Did you feel any resentment towards him? Because you're the one that had to stay home now with the child. Yeah, I definitely did. And I made sure that he knew that. Like, I'm the not- have a very good relationship when it comes to communicating with my husband. And, um, he was trying to like, you know, figure out why I felt this way and trying to help me in every way he could. So me trying to explain to him, like, you have your colleagues, you get to like 
get your mind off of certain things and just be you, the producer. You could do all these things. And like, I'm just me changing, pumping and washing. That's me. So I did have that conversation with him. And that's when I think he kind of realized too, like, okay, I think she needs to go out more. I think she needs to be around her friends, you know? So I think me mentioning that actually helped me. So opening up to him was something I am so glad I did, especially at the timing of when I did. So yeah. your advice to moms going through this is communicate, whether it be with your husband, your mom, your friends, your sisters, just have that line of communication open. I think that's a very important part. And I like we want to touch upon it like in, in a little bit, because I think it's weird because I read that about postpartum, if you're not to the point or to the level where you're taking medication, and you are at your level at your degree, Fathen, opening up is what kind of heals you. It's crazy and sounds bizarre, but that's actually almost like the remedy for it. But before we get into that, you're at two months now, right? You were, you were at mm-hmm. two months, you're, your baby's still colicky, you still can't breastfeed, you probably you switched to formula at that point because Kelsey just gave up and you can't do anything about it. So this is when they say that postpartum, this is like now you're in the postpartum stage. Once um, it passes that two months? Yeah. Okay. Once, Well, no, it's like postpartum is actually the first year after you have your baby. Oh, so it's okay. within that first year. So it's like you're crying, you, you still feel like, depri- like depressed, you have a lot of anxiety as well. And postpartum actually happens um, to want like in I believe it's like one in seven women. You guys, that's a lot. That's like very highly common. Mm -hmm. One in seven women. So it's like you're kind of and the thing is, when it comes to postpartum, nobody's immune to it. Even if you didn't deal with trauma before ever having a baby or even during, like you said, fat and during the delivery, like it still could happen. But the thing is, only 20 percent, I believe I read, let their doctors know. So you didn't even think of reaching out to your doctor. I'm like, you know, you just felt like, oh, it's like, this is my my struggle. This is my fault. And why am I going to open up to my doctor? But do doctors ask? Do doctors tell you like, hey, Fatin, right? how are you feeling? Yes. Yeah, so after you have um, your baby, actually both doctors, your pediatrician for your child and your gynecologist both ask you and you have to actually, you know, mark that on your forms. I want to say with my daughter, um, it's like the first like month at least or two that you have to constantly answer questions about that. So both feel or both doctors are really looking for that because, you know, maybe with my gynecologist, I'm feeling delightful. And then with my pediatrician, I might have a down day. And maybe that's when I start feeling like, oh, okay, I'm really feeling this. I need to tell someone. So I think I'm glad they do that um, because it's important. But honestly, when I saw it myself, I was like, I don't have postpartum. I'm just exhausted. You know, I think I really was in denial in a way, but I also knew I wasn't so severe that I wanted to really get some help in a way. Um, because in the moment I'm like, this is normal, right? Like everyone feels tired. I'm just tired. And, um, as like, I got to like, you know, the second month and still feeling like mentally, physically and emotionally drained is when I realized, okay, something's not right because like, I know everyone who knows me knows I'm sensitive, knows like, you know, I get tired all the time, but I just knew that I'm missing me, like something is wrong. I'm not myself. I'm not in laughing as much, you know, and I hate to say that, like, cause I don't want to sound like I'm a crazy person, but like everyone just knew that, like, I was just down looking back. I definitely feel like, um, I wish I maybe, um, did go speak to someone because I feel like if I had never opened up, 
God knows like what would have happened. But I also know that I probably could have gotten really good help and advice of how to feel good about myself and not let, you know, what did go wrong and the pressure on myself about breastfeeding, like not let it eat me up. I feel like someone who understand and who's a professional be able to guide me to be like, listen, not everyone can, or not everyone has this or whatever. And I'm sure they would have helped me because me confiding in the people around me, like they definitely knew and like tried to understand. But, you know, if you tell me something, I don't really understand. I'm not in your shoes. My point. I'm, I wish I kind of did because someone who is in my shoes knows what I was feeling. Exactly. And so, like you said, you didn't seek professional help. You didn't seek a a therapist or whatnot. What support system did you seek out? Was it friends or family was it a different kind of support group? So I just actually want to backtrack. Um, Zena, that was a, like a really good question. But I want to backtrack to the point where, um, Fathin, you said you didn't want to come off as crazy. And I feel like a lot of mothers say that. And I think that's why they downplay their postpartum. They don't want to come off as like, she should be appreciative. She just had a child. This is a blessing. Like, what's wrong with her? And you don't want to like admit that, hey, something's wrong with me. And the thing is, people need to understand postpartum depression is actually a medical diagnosis. It's not a weakness of women. It's not like you have to really understand that it doesn't mean you're crazy or anything like that. It's an actual medical diagnosis. But I think that's the case with like every mental health illness or Absolutely. whatever. Because like you don't want to feel crazy. You don't want to feel like I'm the only person that's experiencing this. So I must, something must be wrong with me. I mean, right. I, yeah, I feel like everybody that has a mental health issue is a normal person with a mental health issue. Yeah, I don't want to say... This person has a mental health issue. That's it. Like you almost kind of negate them. Yeah, you make them seem like they're not normal. They're like, like in ways they're different, but that doesn't mean that they're not normal. So going back to Zaina's question, um, the support group. So what resources did you seek out? I haven't, or I didn't reach out to any um, professional um, help, but for me, what I think worked, I would say, um, or what I did, and alhamdulillah, like I saw some progress was just being open with my mom, my husband, and my mother-in-law about it. Um, And when I say open, I don't just mean like, I'm tired, mom, or, you know, it's more of like, I think I need a break. I think I just need to go do something. So like feel like myself reminding myself of like what makes me happy. And I just remember also feeling, um, you know, how, how are these moms on social media? We talked about like on social media, that's where it's like hard because you automatically compare yourself, you know, even before having a kid, you know, you compare like, like how many followers or like how they're, what they're wearing, you know? And for me, it was like all these mom blogs that I, you know, followed before I had my daughter. And I just remember po- them posting like their precious moments, like hashtag, like, you know, while they're young. And I just remember thinking after I had my daughter, I was like, okay, I do have those nice moments. And I do find myself like, I'm happy, you know, when she's smiling and when she's not crying, I actually enjoy her. But I remember felt like reading a lot of things online. So that was another source of what I used to help me. So it was like a combination of opening up with the ones that I love, but also um, using the internet. Because, you know, just like with anything, like I don't know how to make lasagna. You Google it, right? So same thing here. I was like, there has to be, you know, millions of moms just like me. So I did Google like, you know, how how to feel like yourself again or, you know, um, 
I don't, you know, what's funny is I don't even think I Googled postpartum. Like I'm sure it came up and I saw it, but like, again, in my mind, I'm like, I don't have that. I think cause you were in denial. Yeah. You didn't want to yeah. admit that you had that. Like looking back, I'm like, I should have Googled that. But again, I'm like, I didn't even think that was going to happen. Like, I, I don't think I knew much about it, to be honest. No one I knew that had a kid ever said that, which is another thing is why I didn't think I had it. But those who are close to me, like, know, like, especially those who either had babies or, you know, are pregnant, like, I've shared my story, like, listen, you know, if you feel, like, down or you feel like you just want to talk to someone, like, please call me, like, you know, I I just want them to know that it's normal, but I also make sure I don't, like, rain on the parade, like, by the way, you're going to feel like this, because it's not true for everyone, but I just want them to know that it is normal. Like you said, one in every seven women. So I'm sure there's someone else out there that I know that might go through it. So I just want to make sure they know that they can count on me if they need to. Like we said, nobody's immune to this um, uh, mental health issue. It's a serious illness. And I just don't understand why as women we're, I think I do understand actually why as women we're ashamed to admit that we have this or we're feeling this way, because I think there's so much pressure from society to feel like, you should be ready to be a mom. You should be well-equipped. You should be responsible. You should know what you're expecting and whatnot. You should be able to handle this. And if you're going through something, just deal with it. Like focus on your child, like stop being selfish and focusing on yourself. But going back to what you were saying, like social media does play a huge part in it because no, you know, they have like these mommy blogs and stuff. No one's posting the dirty diapers and like the fact that they haven't showered in days and dirty Girl, they laundry. have six, no one's... six, what is it called? Six packs? Abs. right after birth like, like it's not realistic what are you doing how did you even get to that point right after like yeah, how do you get me started it's on the that. snapback selfies that i cannot like oh my god i can't yeah. snap back now and i haven't had a child like how do you <laughs> right. snap back and have it after a child but i also feel like it's easy to feel like a failure because everyone on social media looks like they're thriving you're right Zena. like um fat and like you said you have those moments with your daughter you do have those moments those good moments things start looking up and everything and the same amount of seconds that you have that it was a good moment, these moms are just posting it, which I'm right, not shaming right. moms for doing that. Who doesn't want a, a cute picture of, of their course. child online? But it's it's just, I guess, the us, the outsiders, we need to be able to like differentiate between what's reality and what, you know, what's yeah. real and what, you know, they're not going to capture, like you said, Zaina, the dirty diapers. I want to also like talk about like, I mean, it's great. You're That's amazing that you were able to have that support group to talk to your husband and your mom and your in-laws and whatnot. And you were very open with them. Like you basically told them like mm-hmm. exactly what you're feeling, which is amazing. And you said that really helped you out a lot. I just, mm-hmm. I don't, it's like almost like, but if you were like diagnosed with cancer, why is it easy for us to open up about that? Why are, is it not easy for us to open up about postpartum? I think because a lot of people feel like it's in their hands. You know what I mean? Even though it's not, True. I feel like people think it's like, this is me. This is how I'm feeling. So it's a me problem. It's not like a health problem. I think for me, it was like two things. One, I thought it was just me and how I naturally am. Like I said, like sometimes I'd always like doubt myself um, with like confidence and like knowing what I'm doing, like always been like that. So I think for me, it was like, I'm just being weak or I'm just complaining, you know, like this is not anything serious. And I think the other thing was um, like the whole denial part of it. Um, Definitely something that if you feel like you're feeling down or if you feel like you're not yourself like that's when it's a 
you need to take the initiative to say something to someone, whether it's some like whoever you trust, just be like, I don't know, I just feel like this, but inshallah, it's just a funk and I get out of it. Like, you know, but I feel like it's so important to just mention it the first time you feel it. And then alhamdulillah, things did start looking up for you, Fathin, after how many months? When thing, And there's a reason why everything started falling into place and you started feeling better and you kind of like start taking yourself out of this fog. I mean, it is. That's what most of them called it, like a fog. Like you're in this fog. You don't know where you're going, what you're doing. You, you just it's it's very hard and it's like it's a depression, like you're very depressed. So when did you start like finding the light and getting out of it? I started feeling like things were getting a little bit better when two things, you know, she started sleeping a little bit better. The fussiness kind of went down, but also, um, like me and my husband found out we were going to move, um, for like his job promotion, which happened to be back where my family was. So knowing I was gonna, you know, be back home and like where, you know, my mom doesn't work. So she could really help me and have like my siblings who do live there as well. Um, be able to just help support me and like just being around those who um, obviously made me feel like myself. I definitely still felt that like when I lived down um, before we moved, like I was always at my in-laws house because my sister-in-laws always brought that light back in me, but then it'd like disappear, you know, once I'd go back home. But when we moved back up to Orlando, um, we stayed at my parents' house until we bought a home. And I think those first eight months of, um, after my, we moved here really helped me bring me back because I was living in my parents' house around my sisters and my parents. And I had that, you know, support to shower when I wanted 24 hours of the day. So I think that really helped me. And that's when I feel so grateful because I know that's not the case for a lot of people. Alhamdulillah, you're feeling better at this point. You have your family around you. You have your husband supporting you. When was the conversation had of, you know, having a second child? Was that a conversation that took a while to have? Or was it something that you guys thought of right away? Or was the experience that you had with your first daughter kind of lingering around that conversation? Yeah, so when she was about six months, I remember us both feeling like completely like exhausted and thinking, maybe we just only have one because this is like a lot harder. And because it wasn't as, we knew we were going to lose sleep. Like everyone knows that, but I don't think we knew that we were going to get a colicky baby. We also didn't think, um, you know, she wasn't going to want to like go out in public as much. So like, I think there was just so many things that we didn't expect um, that kind of clouded over um, our minds when it came to thinking about doing this process again. And I just remember feeling like both of us were on the same page. We're like, I don't know if we can do this again. At least we're not going to say yes right now. And then, you know, after her, she stopped being colicky about six, seven months. Um, and that's when we really got to like see her personality come out and she's sleeping better. She's happier. And it's like the, finally we get that experience we see on social media all the time. And, um, you know, after about a year and a half after that, we're like, okay, I think we can try again. Like, you know, we know that it's just a bump to get over. And, um, so after about two and a half years, uh, or two years, we tried and Alhamdulillah had another baby. And you, Alhamdulillah, you didn't experience the feelings that you experienced with your first child or the second one, correct? No, Alhamdulillah, everything went well. Um, 
with my second delivery that I didn't feel that postpartum experience again, because, um, going into this delivery, I knew that I was going to have a scheduled C-section. So I knew what to expect. I was calm. There wasn't any traumatic experience there. Um, also he didn't have to go to the NICU. So that was like another thing, alhamdulillah, that went perfectly fine to where after I, I recovered shortly, you know, they brought him to me, I tried breastfeeding, he latched. It was almost like everything finally was going correctly um, with the second baby. And alhamdulillah, he was a lot easier. Um, he wasn't colicky. And I also had him in Orlando where uh, my family lives. So I had like, you know, my mother-in-law visiting to help for a few weeks. My husband was home for a few weeks and my mom. Um, but even when they all left, like my mom, my sisters um, still helped me. But even then, I just felt like everything was a little bit better because um, he was just so easygoing that everything, alhamdulillah, just felt good. And I didn't feel those um, postpartum feelings again. Thankfully, it was just with my first baby experience. And I think with postpartum and whatnot, people have this misconception. I mean, it's not always a misconception because sometimes you do feel this way. But people assume that all mothers that deal with postpartum actually have like resentment towards their daughters. Did you ever feel that way? It was a more so just internal. This was like an internal struggle and you like it had nothing to do with your daughter. It was just you felt like you weren't doing things right. So did you ever have that resentment towards your daughter at all? Alhamdulillah, I never felt resentment toward my daughter. Like you said, it was more of an internal thing. Um, I mean, and that's one thing I want people to know too, listening is like, it's not like I had my daughter and I was like miserable and I just wanted her to go away. It was not like that at all. Even when she was fussy, I was like enjoying singing to my daughter. These are the moments that I also imagined happening. These are the moments where I'm going to say, you were such a little punk when you were a newborn, you know? So I did not have any resentment towards her. I did obviously get frustrated, but it was more like, why can't I figure it out? Like, it was more of like that internal parent judgment. Like, I need to be better. I need to research more. So it had nothing to do with me not enjoying and appreciating her. Yeah, like you were relishing and having your daughter and enjoying the good right, moments. And I mean, I know Fatin personally. I follow you on Instagram and Snapchat. Yeah. <laughs> so I know, like, mashallah, mashallah, I know that you have a great relationship with your daughter. You guys are like two peas in a pod. That's so amazing. like, it's not, I think that is always a misconception. Like, it's not always that case. Yeah, and it doesn't right. have to be to the point where it's severe, where you also want to think about killing yourself or jumping off a bridge. Like, you guys got to understand there is different degrees, There's different, different levels. levels to postpartum. So there's even a level where you do need medication. And there's people that have to take this medication because, you know, they're, they're still dealing with the depression, anxiety, and it's so severe that they can't get out of bed. You probably had like the most mild form of it, but you still experienced it. So any type of experience of postpartum is still like hard. Yeah. And going back to what you said, there are mothers who do seek medication. Yeah. And I don't right. think that we should shame them. Absolutely not. I feel like mm -mm. getting the help that you need in any way, you know, which way or form you do it. If you need that medication, natural or actual prescriptions or whatnot, it's you, this is your struggle and you need to take care of yourself first. Like that's, that's the most important thing. You So right now, Fathin, after you moved and everything like that, you're fine. Alhamdulillah, the depression has gone away. The anxiety has gone away. You are in a good place. Mashallah, you have two beautiful children. And so you're not dealing with it anymore. And do you, do you kind of fear when it comes to the third child that this might 
like you might experience that again or how do you feel or do you feel like now you're better equipped like you know what to do you do have a support group now you know you can open up to your family so do you feel like more confident now if you did inshallah one day decide to have more kids yeah absolutely I feel like I've grown um you know mentally I've matured a lot more you know something kind of happens when you become a parent where you like things are just so different and you look at things in a different light and um I feel like because i know that I went through that. And then like, I was totally opposite with my son. Even then I still know in my heart that I know I got this. The people around me have showed me that they're there if I need to, if they need to be there for that. But I also know that like, um, I can use a lot more resources if they needed to, you know, be used if that happens. So I feel like I'm, I know a lot more now and it's just interesting how I was so naive you know, four and a half years ago. And now I'm just like, okay, now I really know myself. I know that if I feel like this, then I have to do this. So I definitely have learned a lot. So earlier this week, we asked our followers to send in questions for you, Fatin. Um, so in this week's Unsweetener Takeover, Ala Zadawi asked, what is the most appropriate way your friends and family could have approached you in regards to what you were dealing with? Okay, so I mean, obviously... Like if I look at it now thinking like if I didn't really think I was feeling like if I was in denial, um, I mean, I know myself, I know that like if someone to say like, hey, are you okay? Like I wouldn't feel offensive by that. So I feel like someone, if you notice someone who does feel like this or as not acting like themselves, I feel like it wouldn't, like if you're a true friend, then you might ask like, hey, just want to make sure you're like, you feel good. Like, you know, um, you know, do you feel like you have time for yourself or like, do you want me to come help? Like, just like even offering help might spark that open door to be like, actually, that would be great because I feel blank, you know? So that just might be an idea that someone could do as well. That's great. That's actually a great idea. Cause like, you don't know how far your, how are you text can go and how much right. it could mean to somebody or the like, Hey, can I come over and just see you? I missed you type of text because then, yeah, they could, you have another person to watch your baby. If you want to do some and things around such the a house, basic thing. Yeah, exactly. It's such a small little thing, like asking, texting your friend, Hey, how are you? Is everything okay? Uh, that's, that's so true. Um, we also have another question, um, from Tahia. I think it's Tahia Iram. She said people who are socially active and productive experience frustration as life comes to a halt after your baby is born. Did you feel that way? Um, you were a teacher. You kind of did have to stop teaching for a minute. So yeah, she's basically asking like, you did you feel like your, your life kind of came to a halt? Absolutely. Um, you know, our jobs, no matter what job you do, whether you're a mom or not, it's pretty much 90% of who you are, right? Nine to five every Friday, Monday to Friday. So to me, I definitely felt like I had to put my life at a halt. And my social life really, when I was married, was with my colleagues, you know, like that's where I'm spending most of my time. So I did feel like, <clears throat> you know, I was frustrated because I felt like that's where I could possibly be me and not be my, like the mom. And I definitely noticed that not even just moving and being around my family. Like as soon as I got a job, it was my gig, my time as selfish as that sounds where it's like, I'm back to being me and what I'm good at, which is so healthy to be like reminded when you feel like you've just given everything in you to someone else. 
it's interesting how us women feel this guilt and we have to say, I don't want to come off selfish. But then we have our husbands who like in your case, your husband who got to go back to work. And I don't think that crosses mind that, hey, I'm being selfish. I'm leaving my wife and my child at home because society doesn't kind of like mold you to think that way. But for some reason, we think that way. Like you had to feel selfish right now, Beth, and just to simply say, I wanted to go back to work. Like you're going back to work. You know what I mean? I know. It's so interesting. I I think think, moms have to be selfish because if they're not putting themselves first in some in some situations and sometimes, then they're going to burn out. And what kind of mom is a burnout mom? Not really a good mom. You know what I mean? You're always tired. You're always depressed. It's like, it's okay to be selfish. You sometimes. need to take care of yourself in order to take care of others, regardless if it's your child or your friends, your family. You can't. It, it, people always use this like example when you're in an airplane and the airplane's going down and it's turbulence and experiencing. Like, what do they tell you first? You put the face mask on you first. How can you help others when you're you're drowning, when you're yeah, dying inside? You know what I mean. And this is another good point. I don't want to steal from Fatima, but she said this off mic. It's so interesting when it comes to your mental health. Why do we? When it comes to our dentist checkups, we can easily make those appointments. We go twice a year to get our teeth clean and whatnot. Why don't we do the same thing for our mental health? Why are we so against seeing a therapist twice a year? Why? Could it be because the dentists and the doctors are the ones reaching out to us? Like, hey, Zaina, like, remember your appointment's coming up soon? Or, oh, schedule your annual Yeah, they checkup. send me those text messages. Yeah, so like mental health professionals, we don't have that connection with them. We don't have that open line of communication where they can... Because, I mean, I guess we have to seek them first. Well, we seek our dentist first. How does our dentist have our number? That's so, true. you know what? It falls <laughs> back on you, girl. You have it to. Does. Okay. I think it's because it starts at a young age. We go to the yes. dentist at a young age. So, maybe okay. we need to start. That's a I great point. Yeah. That's a great point. Right. Like, think about it. Did our parents ever take us growing up like they did regularly to the dentist, to a therapist, even though, like, even, like, if your parents didn't go through a divorce or if you didn't have any trauma growing up, like... I just, like we said before, I think it's just so healthy to do that. And, you know, um, I don't know how it is with most jobs, but like with my job, I get to go once a month for free with my insurance. And I think that's wonderful. You know, the fact that I can go for free. And if I think I need to go more than that, I just pay a small copay. And I honestly didn't even know that existed until a coworker told me. And I was like, that's amazing. And then I realized more people I'm talking to, they go see therapists. I'm like, but I grew up knowing and thinking you only go if there's a real issue. And it's totally opposite of that. Like, like, um, Dunya said earlier in the beginning, like every, you're not normal if you don't have your own little mental health like issues, you know? Girl, that's such a great point. I mean, I have insurance through my job. I never thought to think to see I if I can check that out because I feel like everyone Girl, we need know. a therapist after yeah. this. <laughs> we need therapy after this. But I feel like a lot of people don't realize that because I don't, I don't, I want to go and check my insurance to see if yeah, it's you That's a great it. point, yeah. Fathan. That really is. And you know what? I think our community is evolving. Um, the people from like whoever's Muslim and one, I think we're evolving. I think we're starting to become a little bit more open to this. I know Hopefully. back then when we were little, it's like, no, you don't do that. You don't seek a therapist. You seek your sheikh. And again, there's nothing wrong with seeking your sheikh. I never want to like go against our mosque or our sheikhs or, or imams or anything like that. They're, they're great resources as well. But on top of it, you should also seek a therapist. And I think it's great to do that. And, and talk objectively to we someone. We are evolving taking care of your mental health is in the quran like well not taking care of but it just says in the quran it does talk about mental health i don't want to misquote the quran or anything like that so before we end this i think we actually want to end it on one final note 
Fathen, um, what would you like to tell other moms out there who are probably listening to this and they are facing the same struggles in silence? They're going to be a first-time mom or sometimes they're a second-time mom and they do feel this depression and anxiety looming over them. What would be your like one piece of advice that you would love to give them? I guess so what it would be is trust yourself and what you're feeling. You, No one knows you better than you, okay? Like, yeah, your spouse knows you, but you know yourself more than anyone else. And you know what your highs and lows are. Um, and I definitely think if you start feeling like you're not yourself or you're, you know, confused with how you're feeling, then that is when you really need to, whether you feel more comfortable talking to someone who's outside of your family Either way, you just have to really trust that instinct and just be open with it with someone, um, whether it's your doctor, your neighbor, or your you know your spouse or whoever you can really just feel like you want to open up to. That is the best start that I would recommend to do because whether they give you the best advice or you find yourself leading to it on your own, um, just like kind of like me Googling and researching. Um, I just feel like you just had to trust yourself and you know yourself. That's honestly great advice. I think that's just in anything in life when you're going through something, definitely mm-hmm. keep the lines of communication open. You'd be surprised at how many people would actually want to help you and be there for you. Um, your family, especially your friends. I, I, I think, you know, you got to save the judgment for it. Just you can't pass judgment on anybody that's going through anything, especially somebody that's vulnerable enough and strong enough and brave enough to come to you and ask and seek your help. You know what I mean? So Definitely ask your friends and family, how are they, especially new mothers, if they need help and whatnot. So that's a great piece of advice. I want to thank you so much, Fathen, for sharing your story, for being open about it. I think it's really hard when society expects mothers to be just like, you know, all around strong, perfect, perfect superwoman. They got everything down packed and whatnot. So thank you for showing us that there's another side to it. But you were able to come out of it stronger than ever. And Michelle, you have two beautiful children. So once again, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you both for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. And welcome back to our unfiltered afterthoughts. Something that I learned during this episode is how common postpartum depression is and how I definitely know someone who's suffered through this and not know it. Like I didn't know it. That's well, I mean, you knew our guest, you knew Fathin. Yeah. And you yeah. would have never guessed that she went through something like this. Yeah, definitely. And that's the crazy part. It's like if one in seven women are going through this, I know multiple people who have experienced these feelings and have gone through this. And it's sort of like it opens your eyes and makes you realize like you might not see, you know, you see a person out in an event, you see them, you know, on Instagram, but deep down you don't know behind closed doors what they're going through. And that's the scary part. There's different forms of mental illnesses. And I believe that there are some that you just, or majority are internal and you cannot see that. You can't. So that's why towards the end we said like, just texting your friends or your family, how are you? I know it sounds cliche, you guys, but it's like it goes a long way. Oh, it does. And even, I mean, going past postpartum, if you know somebody that is going through something or has gone through something in the past, reaching out to them could do wonders for them. I think also when it comes to postpartum, I feel like mothers don't want to 
expose that they're going through something like this because I feel like others might attack them like well you should be grateful that you can have kids because other people can't have kids but you need to understand you cannot compare struggles oh, you can't absolutely. you can't shun a mom just because she's able to have kids and haram another person can't have kids everybody deals with their own struggles and that's what we have to realize yeah we do have to realize that. and I think if we did then we would be able to be more open with what we're going through and it's not selfish to have these feelings these are feelings that are uncontrollable you know what's interesting I often wonder because back then I mean if now we're kind of scared to talk about it but we slowly are what about our mothers like you wonder did they ever yeah did they ever go through something like that but they just didn't know that they were going through it and they were probably just blaming it on the trauma of emigrating from like Palestine and coming here and just like this is part of life we have to struggle you, you never heard someone from our grandparents or grandmother's generation that went through postpartum or went through any kind of mental illness and like we said last episode it's obviously there yeah. It's just not diagnosed. It's not. So it's like you wonder how many mothers went through that. Like our mothers I'm talking about. But it's also the pressure of like we look at our mothers and we see them as like These they're amazing. Things, they yeah. are able to do everything and anything. Like my mom is just like wow. And your mom too. Like mashallah. They're like amazing women. So you feel like you kind of almost have to live up to not their expectations, but you want to be as good as them. So you kind of put this expectation and on yourself. And mentioned as well is the whole social media craze of I am a perfect mother. Look how pretty I look. Look how skinny I look post, you know, postpartum. Look at how my kids are always well-dressed and clean. Girl. That's not the reality. And I think that we need to, yes, we can post cute pictures, but we also have to show the other side. Because yeah. snapping a picture literally takes two seconds. I appreciate the bloggers who, out of their hundreds of, like, perfect posts, at least they do put that one post where they're being super honest. Oh, yeah. And they do admit, like, you know what, this is a struggle and I'm dealing with this. You don't know how much that one post means to the mothers that are struggling in silence. And if you are a mother that's struggling, go check out Amy Schumer's Instagram. Because she just had a baby. She was showing us everything. (laughs) So, I mean, you'll see that everyone's not perfect. And she's very. Am I making this up? But did she post a video of her throwing up? Or am I? I don't. I didn't see that one, but I saw the one that she was wearing the hospital diaper. Like the underwear. Yeah. Like it was. So if you want to feel better about yourself and you want honesty and you want reality, there are people who are showing it as it is. Well, I appreciate people like that. You yeah. know, some people are going to be like, oh, be quiet. You're being so hard. Like you're you're being so dramatic, Amy Schumer. But no, it's like, that's not drama. That's real life. Yeah, that's real life. Like Haram Fatin, did you guys not hear it? She went through one trauma after the other within a span of like two days. Yeah. Like you guys, like having to get an emergency C-section, like personally, like, do I want to be cut up and no, stitched no back and that. whatnot? You know what I mean? You want to do that natural birth experience and everything. And it's like, it's hard. I didn't really look into this part, but like postpartum, it's you're nobody's immune to it. But it's like, I wonder, are there risk factors kind of, if that makes sense? Because I feel like I'm 30 years old. I've obviously lived a life with no kids, no um, responsibilities when it comes to children. Does it, like, I guess, does it matter, like, the longer you go without having kids? Do you feel like when you do have a child, you might deal with that depression because now you, yeah, your identity has completely changed and now you're taking care of somebody when you've been, again, I hate using the word selfish, but you've been just on your own, doing your own thing on your own terms. That's actually a great point because it is, like, you're so comfortable being you at 30 years old and you're so used to living the way that you live that it will drastically change your life. But I think, I think that if you're in that position, just... Taking Fathin's advice and reaching out to people and having that support group 
with you constantly and and having that line of communication open will prevent, hopefully prevent those feelings from arising. You know, it's that, it's that, that quote, it's like, you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you react to it. And I think the older you get, you understand these cliche quotes and they do make sense. But yeah, like I, I always say, yeah. you know, everything that we go through is a test from Allah and the way that we react to certain situations is also a test in itself. You're, you're so right. You're channeling uh, Yusra's episode right now, girl. <laughs> but it's so true because it's like, I, let's just say, inshallah, no, but if I do go through postpartum, now it's like you do know how to kind of combat it in a way and how to control it and how to manage it. Yeah, by manage seeking it, a ther- exactly. Yeah, manage it. You seek a therapist. You have your support groups and whatnot. But honestly, I I just commend all mothers out there. Yeah, and that's Shout, why I'm yeah. glad we do episodes like this because it's raising awareness. Like we have learned something new with every episode. But this episode in particular, like people might not even think of when they have a kid, they might experience these feelings. And once they do, at least now they're aware of, okay, this is what it is and this is how I can manage it and take care of it and get back to my normal self and it's amazing because she did she did do that she went back to teaching and she was kind of regaining her identity back you know right you still see your child as a blessing like i never want anybody like attacking anybody that's going through postpartum because these people do see their children as a blessing but there's only there's you can't control all your hormones and your emotions and whatnot and if you feel a certain way you just feel that way it doesn't take away the love that you have for your child like this girl you see her snaps and instagram she loves her child hormones are crazy yeah hormones are okay crazy things people people. don't understand i mean you think about the effects of birth control and how Mm -hmm. it can drastically change your mood i think this is like so much worse than that because it's just your body is can i be honest for a second like really like tmi when i was on birth control and i actually it was the one time my female doctor wasn't in the office was the one time i made an appointment and i was like there's something wrong like my mood swings are like i'm like going crazy like i'm literally crying over i had a wrong order at Amazon or something. Something happened at Amazon. I think you told me story. this. This lady was being so nice to me, you guys, on the phone, explaining like the mishap and blah, blah, blah. And I started crying. I'm like, do you not understand what you're just like, you're doing and blah, blah. And I was like, I got off the phone. I was like, why am I crying and yelling at this poor lady? Like, what the, I literally booked the appointment. But who was there was a male doctor. And I don't want to like, kind of like, I don't know how to just, just I don't want to go against him. He yeah, just yeah. was understanding me. And I was like, and he's like, so you're going through mood swings because of this? I'm like, yeah. He's like, explain them. I'm like, um, I'm going crazy. Like, I don't know how much more I can explain it to you. And he's like, I guess, I mean, just try different ones. I'm like, okay, well, thank you. But then again, he is not a therapist. He's just yeah. a doctor. But it, I just, and then I just realized from that point on, I was like, okay, forget it. Like, I don't know. And just, that's what I'm saying. Like, imagine being pregnant and the fact that your body is full of these yeah, foreign yeah. hormones. And it's like, it's times 10 probably. You Absolutely. Know I mean? You can't so, escape it. You, you're having this child yeah. in the shovel. And you like, can't just get off the pill because yeah. it's not a pill. It's no. you. you it's know a baby I mean? inside of you. Like, you know what I mean? And even when you give birth, like, call us. But I just want to, like, again, like, thank all the women out there that are just, they are stupid women. I don't care if you have postpartum depression or you don't, or if you're our mothers who are, you're able to do everything and whatnot, like, everybody's strong in their own way absolutely and um i want to shout out to my sister like she was a first time mom yes. and she gave us like such a beautiful nephew and like gorgeous michelle michelle he's a gerber baby like he's, he's chunky, Michelle. and it's just like i don't know it's like so interesting seeing my mom like my my mom my sister actually like i get Becoming to see her mom, identity yeah. change and now she's like a mom she's like a whole different person but like still the same person but it's just like 
wow, like, I don't know, there's just so many facets to us yeah. women. Yeah. Like, Michelle, like, we're so hard on ourselves, but we're so amazing. Oh, like, yeah, Honestly, absolutely. we're amazing. So we want to always thank you guys for listening. If you enjoy this episode, please leave us a great review. We love those good reviews. We love five stars. Yes. And we love the honest feedback in our DMs. And we love if you guys can like tell your family and friends to subscribe to us. It really means a lot. So inshallah, you guys continue listening to us. And we'll see you next week. Yes. Bye.